the Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. Listen to the exciting story of the American Community Schools of Athens. Check out what drives all the members of our international community of learners as we create the education of the future. Here's John Papadakis. Welcome to another episode of the ACS Athens Owlcast. International schools, especially at times of increasing demand of global perspective and mentality, have an added responsibility to adapt and adjust at those times and provide students with programs and opportunities that will serve them throughout their lives, whatever their path might be. The driving force behind these institutions is the quality of educators they can attract and the programs they can initiate, develop and offer to their community. This human capital requires continuous empowerment and professional development that will ensure students benefit from whatever programs the school offers. ACS Athens continuously invests time and resources to foster this development of its community of educators. Our guest today is Dr. Julie Crane, who, under her present capacity as the Professional Development Coordinator, is part of a team that develops the means for meaningful and effective professional development of staff, faculty, and administrators. She's also the internal coordinator for accreditation and has held several positions over the year at the school, including principal of middle school and previously principal of the academy. With Dr. Crane today, we discuss a strong background in communications as a tool to connect in academia. How a song and dance kit can warm up the whole community to you as the new principal. The multiple challenges of shifting age groups in the middle of the pandemic. Are adolescents everywhere pretty much the same? From covering the beat in a media outlet to controlling the beat in a school. Media literacy, social media, and the youth in times of excessive yellow. The fine line between guidance and restriction when it comes to protecting children online. And evaluation through empowering as a growth process when it comes to professional development of employees. ACS Athens prides itself of being one of the most dynamic and innovative schools in Greece. Its programs are driven by the innate and deep-rooted nature of change that is caused by the times we live in, but also by its very student population. Children and their families arrive constantly bringing new air and excitement from around the world. This kind of excitement is naturally attractive to the community of educators that we have at ACS Athens, some of them for an assignment of two to three years, others for many more, or even for decades. It's not common, however, to see educators or administrators who come to serve in one capacity, leave, return to serve in another position, leave, and return again. What is your connecting link with this school that is so strong, Dr. Crane? My connecting link, Mr. Papadakis, to this school is that it's a diamond in the rough. Uh, when you find something that is great and that you're a part of it, even though you have other um, appointments in your life that pull you away, you're always drawn to come back to help those who are 
at the institution to help uh, students grow, to help professionals grow, to be able to be appreciated in your own life. So do you remember when you took that decision to come to Greece? What was in your mind? What were you thinking about? Um, I believe it was in 2015. Yes, I came as the academy principal in 2015 to 2017. And, and uh, it was um, a decision to be back with my husband. My husband and I had uh, been apart, working apart for a while. And we decided, I decided that that was enough of that. Life's too short. And uh, the opportunity at ACS Athens came open and uh, happily with my experience, uh, 24 years experience as a, an administrator and a principal in the US, I was able to draw on that and apply that here at ACS Athens and help the advancement here. Your academic and administrative credentials reveal someone with a diverse set of skills. How did your studies prepare you for your capacity as an academic leader and as a principal? My background in uh, communication, uh, very similar to you, as a matter of fact, we both have worked in uh, the field of journalism and radio, TV, and that helps you to uh, be involved with people and get to know them, be able to talk to them, communicate, uh, feedback, just, just more naturally. And that uh, led me to a field of education in that I wanted to see how I could help people develop and students develop. So that was the initial one. And part of my studies after that then uh, were geared towards education, curriculum, instruction, and administration, and how to run schools, how to run school districts. And uh, those have served me very well, as, as long as professional development too, with my PhD and my research on professional development and new teachers and helping them grow and uh, be a part of their learning and, and help them be more effective in the classroom. That's, that's a real joy for me. Did you find it easier to connect with teachers and faculty having your communication background? I think so. Yes, it's it's easier when you when you practice when you study communication theory, and you're able to practice that in the community, in different situations that are um, uh, intense with uh, very high level professionals, and also the common person, the common person you go out and you uh, report, so to speak, on humanitarian issues and you get to know the real world out there and you're able to then apply it and understand more, more quickly than uh, a certain maturity can bring you that people are people and there, it takes all kinds of people to run the world, to be students in the world and to be teachers in the world. And that is, is a big part of understanding uh, how, The whole system works. During your first assignment as the academy principal, I was there when you first addressed the academy assembly for the first time in September of 2015. I remember that for a moment, just for a moment, I felt like you were my principal and you connected with everyone in the theater as though you were not the new principal, but someone who knew everyone 
Do you remember that speech? Oh, yes. I remember that day because we uh, we planned for that. And uh, the song that was popular at the time was Whip Nay Nay, I think it was. And uh, so I reached out to some students, some student leaders in the soccer on the soccer team. And they didn't know me at all uh, and said, OK, hey, we're going to do this little skit on stage. And I uh, got the dean involved, the dean now, Dean Tokaklidu, and she was the uh, vice principal at the time and the IB director. And, uh, you know, it's it's just making connections with kids. We did our, our dance on stage and I can't dance, I need to tell you. <laughs> and they were able to see that. But I mean, it's the it's the connection that you attempt to make with kids and then they will see you as a person, uh, be able to empathize with you and say, hey, I might not agree all the time with the principal and what she's trying to do. But I know she's a real person and she's she's not out to just put the rules down. Do you think that it set the tone, uh, that dance of yours? Well, I hope it did. You know, uh, you run the risk, especially in a different culture. But I was mm, familiar enough with the Greek culture at the time, uh, having been married for over 30 years to a Greek man and having uh, lived and visited Greece numerous times over those years. So I was more familiar with the Greek culture to know that, you know, uh, I might look pretty silly and they don't like silly. This is a very respectable school and uh, I might run the risk of them seeing me as, you know, degrading my my position, so to speak. So uh, I thought about that strongly, but, you know, having fun with kids always overrides any uh, preconception about uh Uh, who you are and who you want to be and astuteness or uh, being highfalutin in in a position. It was probably a YOLO moment. (laughs) It was, that's for sure. (laughs) In 2020, you returned as the middle school principal for a year. How did you compare the first time with the second time dealing with younger adolescents? Was it less challenging or ages inversely proportional with the difficulty? You know, all my career had been uh, before 2020 uh, working with high school students. Uh, I taught high school students grades 9 through 12 and, and college students at various times. But also, I just uh, had never had the opportunity for middle school students until I left ACS in 2017, and I needed to go back to Kansas. Um, and I had so many years in Kansas that I needed to finish three more years. I was lucky enough in those three years when I was back in Kansas to work at a middle school. And I realized, working with those kids, that I really liked that age group. Mm-hmm. They are... Uh, still at the age where, you know, they, they want to hug you all the time, which is good, the sixth graders. And then the eighth graders are a little snarky sometimes, but that's uh, part they, of... They want to doubt you all They the want time. to doubt you all the time. Uh, but I knew that from ninth graders too, so they're very similar. But uh, I liked I liked working with middle school as I got that experience in the States. And I told Dr. Polonis, I said, I'd be happy to come back and and help out as much as I can. So it it really was a great experience, me getting to know the kids uh, at that time and the and the faculty here at the middle school. So 
it is still a great experience. Did you find it um, less challenging because that was your second time around or how, how would you rate the difficulty? Um, you know, in some ways it was less challenging, but uh, we were online most of the year last year. So it was, uh, we had different challenges, very different challenges. But once you're an administrator and you know the routine, you know what needs to be done. And then, uh, of course, once you've been at a school and you already know the the people, the personalities and how to get things done through those particular professions and professionals that are that work here, uh, that part was uh, easier. And Dr. Polonis knew that bringing me in uh, to help out for that year. You are listening to the Owlcast the official podcast of ACS Athens. We are talking with Dr. Julie Crane, former principal of middle school and the academy, about her background in communications and media, and her current role as professional development coordinator and internal coordinator for accreditation at ACS Athens. As you said... Um, there are some challenges, issues, uh, wherever you go, you change from one grade to the next, you go from one school to the next, but you're also doing some changes country to country. What would you say are the most challenging issues you have faced as you transition from one school to the next? I know you, as you said before, you have family ties with Greece, but most of your career has been in the United States education system. How, how do you handle the differences from one student population to the next, from one cultural or educational mentality to the next, or adolescents are adolescents everywhere. I think the last statement that you made is uh, very accurate. Adolescents are adolescents no matter where. Um, even from, well, it's developmental psychology, the theory, the, the practice, the reality. Um, it might be a little bit more mature. Some students at various, in various cultures might be a little bit more mature at a certain age than others at that age in another country. But kids are kids, no matter where you are and what, what school you are in. Um, they, they exhibit the same developmental cycles. And, and that's the easy part. You know what they're going through at various ages in their lives and it's um, many times we have to help the parents also understand, hey, this is this is just a stage that they are growing through and uh, you will understand it. It's it's not the end of the world. They they uh, make mistakes. It's not the end of the world, uh, although sometimes as a parent, especially if it's your first child, you you there's no rule book. You don't know. So they get uh, very upset and very worried. So much of our job is to help parents through those issues too. But like I said, kids are kids no matter where. It seems to me that this environment here now in this studio must feel natural to use. For some people is a refuge. For others is the most stressful place. Your undergraduate and master degrees in journalism and radio TV beg the question, how come you didn't pursue a career in the media, you definitely have the speech element. Well, I did work as a journalist. That was my first position before I became an educator. And that actually led me to being an educator. 
So I was working as a journalist in a small town where my husband was a professor of communication at the university there. And I was, I had the uh, beat, as we used to call it, the uh, area of which I needed to cover for journalism of the education system within the, the school districts around the area. And uh, I was in the classroom reporting on those uh, stories that I mentioned earlier, like a humanitarian story. What is it that, that the kids learn today or, or some human interest stories? And I saw what the teachers were doing and how the kids were learning. And it was fun. I don't know if it was just the, the particular teachers that I observed or uh, what it was, but something within me struck a chord and said, you know, this is, this is, even though I've studied journalism, this seems like it's more fun. You can see the effect that you have on the actual person that you're helping learn and grow. And you, you get that immediate satisfaction. And I wanted to do that. And even though it was a long pursuit of additional educational courses, uh, I was older at the time when that happened. And so I appreciated those courses more and ended up being a teacher for seven years before I became an administrator. So it was it was a, a happy change in life. And it was it was something that I think as a person, what the research says now is that we all change professions four or five times. It was just a natural progression for me. So it was just one change in profession for you? Well, it depends on how you look at it. It was... I'm not talking about subsections of the same profession. <laughs> I'm talking about... Then it was just one change. Just one change. Yeah. Because the subsections are teacher, you know, principal, uh, coordinator now. But have you ever <laughs> wondered what would have happened if you stayed that course? Yes, of course. Of course. Would you have survived? I mean, that long in this field that is changing so fast? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. It's just, uh, I find um, much of the things that I see in uh, radio and TV, mainly TV, is so uh, compartmentalized now. Uh, you have to be one or the other. And it's not as objective reporting as it used to be. So it's difficult, I'd imagine, for journalists uh, to be objective and what is objectivity anymore. I learned when I taught uh, in Greece uh, in the 80s that there is no such thing as objectivity. It's a very difficult concept for the Greek journalists, I think. In the past couple of years, students and faculty here at ACS have started several media production projects since we're talking about media with a focus on media literacy. So we're not doing productions for production sake but as a means to promote critical thinking around media content, to create intelligent cons consumers of media messages, especially in the times of unregulated, unreliable, and unrestricted social media content. What are your thoughts about the way young people are affected by the media landscape nowadays? I think this is a very good route for us to take as educators and as an institution. Um, it, it was uh, easier to navigate the field mm -hmm. of uh, media in the past for individuals, but now it, there is so much um, yellow, so taintedness out there. And what is tainted? I use the word, but that's 
That's a word that I use. Maybe someone else might not use that mm -hmm. word. So we have to make sure that they are uh, mature enough to be able to analyze what, what it is that they're hearing. And so many people are out there trying to um, purposefully and maliciously hurt others through the media and through social media and messages. So it's very important that we have a literacy program where we can teach students how to analyze the information that is being presented to them. Mm -hmm. So if there was an advice that you would give to uh, young people nowadays as to how it is best to consume media, what would have been? What's the question that the students or young people should ask themselves? Mm. Well, they should ask themselves, what is the source? I think that is the main um, question. What is the source? Where is this coming from, this information? Uh, and is someone uh, willing to put their name on it, that source? Um, if they are, then you can check on the, the person, the actual individual, and you can check on the credentials of the person. But uh, it's hard to do that when you have the developmental ability or inability of a young person who is influenced by, by the social aspect of their life. They find that that's the most important thing to them. And it's hard to get beyond that. So it's really the age group, too, of uh, we have to teach different stages of media literacy at the different stages of development for the students and, and also the parents. Here's where you need to set the guidelines. Uh, you do, I think it, my, my kids are older now in their 30s, but if I had a young child now, I, and I'm all for technology, but I would limit, I would limit the time frame. I would use the parent controls. I would, I would turn off my Wi-Fi at night. I would have those limits uh, to make sure that based on their developmental age, that I was not only guiding them, but also restricting them based on what, what I know as a parent that they would need. Valuable advice. For the past couple of years, you have focused on professional development and now the evaluation of educators. Now you're putting also staff and administration into the frame of this process. What have you learned through your work on this topic? What are the most profound topics of discussion you have been engaged in during this process? It's difficult to evaluate uh, subordinates and um, it's difficult to see the whole process also, which is uh, what we are trying to do is as a growth process. Um, hiring, hiring people in your organization is the most important thing that, that you do for your organization. And you hire the best people and then you train them and then you help them grow. Um, and then you try to keep them. And you try to keep them through the retention of that growth too, those opportunities. But sometimes when we add the evaluation process to that, but it's also the professional growth process combined, people, people are scared. People are scared of other people judging them. So we don't want that to happen. Um, and we're trying to make that the whole process more... Uh, friendly 
for, you know, we as educators have been used to evaluation forever because we've always had a principal who, who has been uh, helping us improve because we teach the kids and we want to see them advance. Supporting staff, other administrators, not so much. We're not so used to that kind of paradigm, but everybody can improve. That's my my goal. Uh, that that and that's my thought. That's my my whole philosophy is that every human being can improve. No one's perfect, and that's what we're trying to do: help everybody improve. You just met a group of educators from the U.S that are considering whether to move to Greece and ACS Athens, whether it's a good fit for them or their family. What are some of your suggestions or tips or advice you'd have for them? I would uh, suggest that they do a lot of research on the country, first of all. Um, you know, if you're an educator, like, like we discussed before, the kids are kids no matter where. So you can be an educator anywhere. But... Uh, and depending on the age of the person who's wanting to move, that, that makes a difference also in their developmental abilities and capacities. Uh, I would tell them to do a lot of research on the culture so that they know everything and anything about the culture. Um, when I decided to marry a person of a different culture, I decided right off the bat that I would try to learn their language and culture. And that has, has served me well over the years, although Greek is such a difficult language, or it must be that me, I don't have the capacity because I'm still learning Greek. Uh, but It's the, a lifelong process. <laughs> we still don't. Oh, my goodness. There's always <laughs> idi idioms and things that I don't know. And it's like, what? But, but I like to learn. So I'm learning every day. But uh, that would be the, the most uh, important advice I would give people wanting to work in Greece. Oh, the other thing, of course, I would tell them this is a great school and uh, they will make sure that it's a good fit for them as well as you need to make sure that it's a good fit for you. Dr. Crane, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure, Mr. Papadakis. Appreciate it. You are listening to The Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. Make sure you subscribe to The Owlcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. This has been a production of the ACS Athens Media Studio.